Good morning. I'm really grateful to be able to be with you today and for the invitation to, uh, to bring God's word this morning. Um, I know you're in an exciting space waiting for your own new pastor to come, and so I'm glad for this gap yet that I can come and be with you. It's just strange times, isn't it, to worship the way we have to today, uh, even a changed order of worship and everything else, but we're here in Jesus' name because of what he's done for us and to be centered on him. So let's take out our Bibles and uh, apologies to Barb if I wasn't, was supposed to preach on Isaiah because I'm not going <laughs> to preach on Isaiah today. Um, we're going to turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 14. And I've got a different translation, so I'm going to read it out of the ones, the Bible that you have in front of you. But there's a place in me as we get ready for this where I'm a little less than sane. And um, you've heard the definition of insanity, right? It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Um, these words that we're going to read today, and uh, one verse from Jesus in the New Testament, define a truth that God has had to teach me over and over again. And I do learn it, and then I get to a place where I'm trying to do it all by myself again, and Jesus has to teach me. And it doesn't matter what your particular situation is, we've all been there, come to the end of ourselves and had to learn this truth. So what do we do when we get into these impossible situations? Let's turn to Exodus 14 and find out how Israel experienced this. We're going to read, the text is just 13 to 15, but I think the story needs to be read from the beginning. So we'll start at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is after the, the plagues and coming out of Egypt, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them. And they said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, Horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahiroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, 
Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. And we'll stop at that point. You can keep your Bibles open. One verse from Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. When his disciples asked Jesus, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And I want us to think about our impossible situations. The by itself, the first half of Jesus' statement is sort of depressing. With man, this is impossible. But we also need to learn the second. With God, all things are possible. And how do we learn to rely on God's possibilities in the face of our own impossibilities? And for this, we turn to this story this wonderful story of Israel's exodus from Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea. And we can break down the lesson that Israel learned here into four steps or four stages to help us to sort of get our minds around how we are to face our own impossible situations. And the first step is this, and it seems quite obvious, but we face an impossible situation, one that's beyond our ability to handle. And Moses and the Israelites are in that situation. They reach the Red Sea and they're trapped between the sea and Pharaoh's pursuing army. They're caught between this immovable object and an objectionable movement behind them. And they can't fight their way out. Although Israel is armed for battle, they are no match for the professional army of Egypt. They couldn't swim their way free, they were trapped. This was an impossible situation, and we've all been there. Maybe you're in one this morning. We certainly are seemingly as a nation in a space like this. And how do we normally handle it? What do we normally do? Well, we're famously insane. We deny the impossible, and we try to get our way out of it. We try something, and we run up against the wall, and we try it again, and we run up against the wall, and so then we worry about it for a while, and then we try something again. Until we get to the second stage of this lesson, and that is we realize we are in an impossible situation. You think about Israel for a minute. Up to this point, what were they doing? If you remember this story, you go back one chapter to chapter 13, verse 18, it says they were going up out of Egypt armed for battle. And in the verse 8 of what we just read, it says they were marching out boldly. I mean, the Israelites were pumped. They had just seen what God did in the 10 plagues in Egypt. And, and they had plundered the Egyptians, and, and now they were sure they could do anything. They were bold. Well, you know what that feels like, right? Just after you've come off some success. It's like Michigan when they've won 11 in a row, and then they face Minnesota. <laughs> right? 
We feel like we can conquer anything. And they were marching out boldly in verse 9. Then it says, but the Egyptians and all of Pharaoh's horses, look how it's described, and chariots and horsemen and troops, it's a vast army. They pursue them and they overtake them as they camp near the sea at Pi-Hahiroth. So they're marching out boldly, but their trouble was pursuing them swiftly. They just didn't know it, and so it didn't bother them. They had that sort of holy courage that we get when we just don't realize what's going on. (laughs) But then they saw it, and they looked up, and there were the Egyptians. Now, many of you may be old enough to remember uh, when 9-11 happened, and the planes crashed into the towers in New York, and And then you realize, maybe for the first time, that not everyone loved America. It has often been that way, but we just realized it. Today, we're in maybe a little different situation. Most of us are quite well aware of the difficulties of our nation. This has been a year of one realization after another of our powerlessness and our inability. So what happens when we realize the impossibility of our situation. One of the first reactions is fear. And so it was with Israel. They saw the Egyptians. They realized they were caught. And verse 10 says they were terrified. They were terrified. And many of us have been, whether we recognize it or not, living in a state of fear. Pandemics are scary. And American political campaigns, of which we've just been through, on both sides, though some sides more than others, are intentionally designed to play on our fears. I mean, the Greeks knew this centuries ago, that fear was that one emotion that demagogues could manipulate most easily. And we've been subjected to months of pervasive talk of threats to our community, to our race, to you, to me, and... The news outlets stoke that fear because they know it brings ratings. And social media just puts fuel on the fear fire as ordinary people begin to express their fear and anxiety, and it becomes contagious. And so we've been living in a lot of fear. And fear, if you know a little bit about how it works in our bodies, it activates the amygdala of our brain. It's the fight-or-flight mechanism. It it triggers the hypothalamus-pituitary-adrenal system, which releases stress hormones. And in the short run, that's a great thing. But in the long run, it can lead to lots of physiological dysfunctions in our body. And emotionally, it leads to things like burnout and fatigue and and mood swings and learned helplessness. And it's no wonder that so many Americans are just expressing they're, they're tired, even though they're sitting at home. And they're anxious about everything. And many of us are too. Whether we're actually in an impossible situation or perceive ourselves to be in one, our fears can stampede us. And in, our worst, in the worst cases, the fears issue into despair. As it did for Israel, they say to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? We're going to die, Moses. We're going to die here. And... I want to suggest that this is right where God wants us to be. No, not terrified, because God's first words through Moses are what? Do not be afraid. Don't give way to panic. Your worst fears will not be realized. But God does want us to be where we realize the impossibility of our situation. 
that we're between Pharaoh's army and the sea, that they were there is because God had put them there. Do you notice that? In verse one of what we read, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea. It's very specific. And verse four tells us the Israelites did that. They camped by the sea. It was a beautiful campground. They loved roasting their breakfast over the coals with the view of the ocean. And everything was hunky-dory until they look up and see the Egyptians. But God set them right there in an impossible situation. Why? So that we could learn the third stage of this lesson, or maybe relearn the truth, that it's not about us. It's not about us. Because if we're going along quite well and, and we start to think that this story is all about us and our success is all because of us, then when trouble that we can't handle comes along, there's nothing left to do but fear because it all depends on us. But the Lord is in charge of creating this situation and the Lord has done it for a specific reason. And he says it twice in the verses that we read this morning. He said it right to Moses at the beginning. I will harden the heart of Pharaoh, verse 4, and I will gain glory for myself. And then in verse 17, he says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. In other words, it's going to get worse. But I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army, through all of his chariots and his horsemen, through all of your trouble in all of its vast complexity and difficulty, through all of its pain and hurt and confusion. I'm going to gain glory through that. And then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh. This is a hard truth that we don't always want to accept. But God sometimes orchestrates things because he wants us in difficult situations where he can reveal his glory to us and to those around us as he delivers us. He wants to demonstrate glory through your impossible situations because it's about him. It's about his glory. If we could do it, the glory would be ours. But God wants us to know him, to come to him. As, as Renee quoted that, that quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that God would lead us to himself in this difficult time. And of course, our situation really is entirely in God's hands, as it was for the Israelites. And we didn't read this, but you know how it ends. The angel of the Lord comes. He puts the pillar of cloud behind them so the Egyptians cannot bother them during the night. The Lord commands the east wind to blow. The Israelites walk through on dry ground. And then the Lord sweeps the Egyptian army into the sea. And finally, then, we come to the fourth stage of this lesson of impossible situations. And that is, we learn what is our true role in the Christian life. What are we to do when we're stuck but yet between the army and the sea? When God hasn't yet delivered us, how are we supposed to live now? How do we live in the midst of these impossible and painful situations? And that's where we come to our text in verse 13 through 15. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still and move on. And one of the things we need to say is what this story does not mean. It doesn't mean that God's going to do everything for us. There are some times where we think that way, right? Well, if God wanted me to get that job, then it would just, I, the phone would ring and it would happen. 
Um, God will not do in us what we must do ourselves. Oswald Chamber in his famous devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, talks about this. He says, God will not, for one thing, develop your character. God's not going to grow you up spiritually while you do nothing. If you're reading the Bible and you come across a word that you don't understand like phylactery, you know what that is. He's not going to just reveal it to you. You have to go do some study. You have to look things up. There's things that we have to do. And when we forget God-given responsibility and then things don't go our way, we end up like the, the proverb that says, people's own folly ruins their life and yet their heart rages against the Lord. It's like, no, we have responsibilities. There's a time not to pray about something and as Moses said to the Israelites, stop crying and move on. Do the next right thing that you know to do. That's our responsibility. But the main point of this story is that there are things that are impossible for us to do. There are things that no amount of your effort or mine are ever going to move. And it's about these things that God says to us here, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And it's a theme of the scripture. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And fundamentally we see this when we realize that our own hearts are deceitful above all things and beyond cure, as Jeremiah says, that we stand spiritually between death and the devil, and like Pharaoh, the devil is relentless, and we have no power to fight him. We have no way of escaping our own sin and our own death. The Lord must make a way, and Jesus comes and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so the first question is for you this morning. Have you done business with Jesus? Have you put your feet on his path and put your trust in him to deliver you from our greatest, your greatest enemy, your own corrupt heart, your sin, and the inevitable death that comes with it? There are things that are impossible for us to do. And this is true not only in our initial salvation from sin, or the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, but it's also true in the continuation of that salvation. When our enemy would try to bring us back into captivity, to fear, and to despair. Sometimes we just need to distinguish these things. Where is the situation that you're in that is outside of your power, that is outside of your control, that's causing you worry, the devil is using to bring you down to despair. It helps me to just make a list. I made a list of a few things that I can't do as I'm in ministry down the road at Friendship. I've realized, number one, I can't create spiritual hunger in people and make them want to. I can't do that. I can't make people grow in their sanctification. If a jerk becomes a Christian, you get a Christian jerk until the Holy Spirit works on them. I can't change that. I can't make people catch a vision. Even Jesus couldn't do it with the 12 until the Holy Spirit came along. I can't make people show up for things or volunteer unless the Father draws them. I can't get spiritual leaders with a God passion. Maybe that's why Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers in the vineyard. I can't preach this morning and make you trust God. I can't give you a settled heart of peace. I can't do a lot of things. You should create your own list. Maybe you can't get your spouse to change his or her attitudes. You can't get your kids to own your values. You can't get anybody to think about mass the way you do. 
right? We can't, but God can. So what do we do with these impossible things? A number of years ago, I heard H.B. London, you might remember him from Focus on the Family, tell a story of an old weathered sheriff whose testimony he had heard. And this old sheriff with a raspy voice told how he had ruined his life by drinking. And he lost his job, and his wife left him, and he alienated his only son. One day he had the radio on, and he heard a preacher preach the gospel, and he put his head down on the table, and he prayed for Jesus to take over his life, and he gave it all over to God. At the time, he was eating his lunch out of a brown paper bag, and he took that bag, and he, and he flattened it out, and he grabbed a crayon, and he wrote on it, God bag. And then he took some little slips of white paper, and he wrote on them. And one he wrote, my marriage, and then he put it in the bag. And on the other one, he wrote, my job, and he put it in the bag. And the other one, he wrote, my relationship with my son, and then he put it in the bag. And and he put the bag and he taped it up onto the door of his refrigerator. And every time he came to the refrigerator, he would pray over the contents of that bag, that God bag. And he said, God, I can't do anything about these. It is beyond me. Please help me in these areas, for nothing is impossible with you. And he kept doing that, and then several days later, his son called him. And he said, Dad, we've been apart too long. And eventually he got the courage to call his wife, and he said, Honey, I still love you. Is there any way we can still have a relationship? And eventually got his job back. Because with God, all things are possible. So what do you need to put in your God bag today. I'd encourage you when you go home today, most of us have little paper bags, just like Steve said, 9,000 plastic ones wrapped up in a corner somewhere. Take a, pla- a paper bag like this and write on it with a marker or a crayon, God bag, my God bag. And then get some post-it notes or something and make your own list of those impossible situations that you need to turn over to God and put it in there, tape it up in a prominent place and leave it there. If there's no part of those situations that you need to do something about, then entrust it to God and move on and let God be God in your life and let God get the glory out of the situations that you are in. It's when we finally realize that we're in an impossible situation, we're actually in a good place. That's just where God wants us to be, where we can learn again that with us it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for, Lord, the rich um, record in in your word of the ways that you have dealt with your people for years and years, and you deal with us still today that you are leading us, that you are with us. Even when we can't see you, you're working. You call us when we're afraid to trust in you again and again and to lift our eyes beyond the impossible, beyond the enemies that threaten us and to remember that you are the Lord, that you are the God of our situation and to wait in this space until you will deliver us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and the way that you have delivered us ultimately from our greatest enemies of sin and death and that we are secure in him 
that we know that you are leading us home to eternal uh, glory with you. Lord, in the meantime, may we live in such a way that brings glory and honor to your name as we rest in our faith and in the promise that you give us that you will restore us and lead us safely home. We pray these things, Lord, for each person here who's watching online as well. You know their individual situations, and we pray, Father, that you will manifest your glory in their life today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand to receive God's parting blessing, after which time I guess we will, conclu- we will continue to sing if you are able to do so. Now go out with the blessing of God. May God himself go before you to lead you, behind you to protect you, beside you to befriend you, beneath you to support you, and within you to give you his peace. Do not be afraid. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.